Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Marty and I are with each other. We are not competitive. We just aren't. We laugh at people who are in competition with other people. That's because we're mature. It's not that we've never been competitive with other people. We've just been, you know, what they call it, around the block. So we're just not competitive with each other. He wins, great. I win. We don't win. Steve Martin and Martin Short are both Emmy-nominated this year in the Outstanding Comedy Actor category for Only Murders in the Building. But that doesn't mean it has to be awkward between the two legends, at least according to Steve Martin. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Only Murders in the Building co-creators Steve Martin and John Hoffman about the success of the Hulu series, which is also nominated for Outstanding Comedy and Comedy Writing among its total 17 nods. But first, our Word Circuit Roundtable discusses the supporting actress categories. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Tick tock, tick tock. Voting is about to begin. Look alive, everyone. Hi, I'm Michael Schneider, along with Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and who dis? Who dis? New phone. <laughs> Clayton Davis. <laughs> Welcome back to the party. Thanks. I, oh, I get to, I'll say it publicly now. I survived COVID a second time. Nah. Oh, the dose. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you're okay. Yes. By the way, totally deserved it because I talked crap literally uh, when it happened because I said to someone in the office, I said, guys, I think I'm invincible because if I didn't get COVID, <laughs> I can. There's no way I'll ever get COVID again. And that was Monday. And then on Monday night, I was like, I don't feel well. No. That's, you You willed it into happening. Although, yeah. yeah, I just have not said a word. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to. Yeah. That's the thing. Everybody who says, oh, I haven't had COVID, all those people, like, it's just dominoes now. They're like, oh, I've got COVID. I've got COVID. It's like, just don't say a word. Yeah. A little bit of that is like, I don't want to say I'm happy about it, but I'm happy because if, if it does have a mass spread like that, it's more likely to die, like, forever. You heard it here first. Yeah. So this this was your second time, though, Clayton, right? Yeah. So how- I, I, was, I was an OG. I was uh, May 2020 during the pandemic, and I was fine. This one was 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 painful. Like, I slept for, like, 30 hours. Wow. Like, I, like I, I, I was running, like, a really high fever, and I slept for, like, all of Wednesday into Thursday. Like, yeah, I was dead. So the sequel was worse than the original. Yeah, just just typical. You can call it um, Odd Couple Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that weird. is a poll. That is a strange, strange poll. I was, I was, I was going to compare it to to Scoob Two. Like they should have oh. just, they should have oh, just scrapped too it. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. <Mike>. Too <laughs> soon. That was painful. Oh my god. Oh, oh. man. Oh man. 
So, well, I alluded to it at the start of this, but uh, voting begins August 12, which means we're here and it's time for everyone to make those final selections. So Thank you've got God. 10 days. Uh, so a quick, quick time for everyone to make those final choices. But yeah, we're heading into the home stretch. The uh, Emmy issues that Emily has been editing for the past uh, five years are which, all- Which, by the way- Literally. No, <laughs> nobody can see it right now, but- Emily Longretta <laughs> yawned so widely. <laughs> like, it, was it was the biggest yawn I've ever yeah. seen. No one could see it. I'm just really tired. <laughs> <laughs> so tired. You know what? I'm glad. I feel like this has been a long, a long phase too already. Um, and it's barely started. So I'm just, I'm happy the voting is starting. I'm, I'm happy we're getting the ball rolling here. It's the fun part because we also have events going on. Emily and I ate uh, some sushi the other night at an event. We which sure nice. did. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. So, so uh, the the phase two uh, Amazon's got some big thing going on this weekend. It seems like everyone's kind of up in their game as we get to the final voting. Oh wait, but d- don't bury the lead. We have a host. Oh yes, we, we have do have a host. host, and it's not any of us. It's not. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is not, but it is our Walk of Fame honoree this week, which is very, very exciting. Yep. Keenan Thompson, um, as we'd been sort of predicting for a while, for a long time, we can finally, and we haven't wanted to talk about it because we haven't wanted to tip anyone else off who might be tracking. <laughs> so now I'm like afraid to even like whisper it. <laughs> say his name. Keenan Thompson, it's his turn. It's his time. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's the logical choice for, for NBC, even though they canceled his sitcom this year, which is uh, awkward. But and snubbed him from the Emmys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, st- I mean, not nominated. I mean, whatever. You know what? The, it, long, if Kel comes out, I'll be very thrilled. I'm just well, gonna say how, it. I want to know how close we are. We were to getting Keenan and Kel. Does anyone know this? What like, do you mean to getting like to no, getting get them as duo hosts this year? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he pops up. I would not be surprised if you guys will want to check out the Walk of Fame story. Or one of our great freelancers did. He actually spoke to Kel also, and they talked about their like duo and how they became so close and how they're still really good friends. So I would love a good burger skit sketch thrown in there. Oh, maybe they'll pass out good burgers. I will celebrate oh with orange soda. If they pass out good burgers and orange soda, I- wait, Clayton like, is currently has- holding up. The DVD of that he just happened to have right next to him. It was, it was that just, still 25th anniversary limited edition steelbook Good Burger. It came in the mail like literally like a week or two ago, and I just wow, left I'm it jealous. on my desk. I want it. That's so when you said it. So when you said it, I looked over. I was like, "Oh, it's sitting there." That's amazing. But also, 25th anniversary. <laughs> I know. <laughs> F you, everyone. Yes, I refuse to believe that. We are old. I, I wasn't even born yet. I'm lying. But <laughs> so, Clayton, did you uh, get a chance while you're uh, you know enjoying your COVID holiday to watch anything, to binge anything? Was there any anything that was your COVID diet? Um, I did watch Prey, which is film. Those are movies, Michael. Uh, ah. um, Hulu. Are um, those just like limited series? But you you binge them all at once. So. And I, yep. And I did watch They Slash Them on Peacock. Oh, what'd you think? I 
did not like slash hated it, <laughs> but it was still, uh, it was, uh, it's on my list. I'm sure yeah. I'll, I just love me some Kevin Bacon. So yeah. I mean, Peacock's uh, yeah. just happy. You actually watched something on yeah. Peacock. So that's, that, that's a win for Peacock. I am loving the extended office, uh, episodes on Peacock though. Yeah. So much fun, right? Yeah. I love them. Aren't those just the supersized episodes that they ran originally? But or or I don't. I think there's definitely more because there is an episode that's like actively long. <laughs> like I feel like yeah. I the, think there's some extra stuff that they never aired. Yeah, I did watch the ta- the table reading episode of like the last episode, and I got teary eyed. It was still nice. Are delightful. you going to tell Emmy voters where to find Peacock? Because I'm sure <laughs> I still don't know where to find Peacock. Sorry. <laughs> Shady Jazz today. Jeez. It's on Sam. It's on. It's on Samsung TV. That's what I. That's Girls what I five ever forever. Um, but uh, the resort's a fun little show too. It's there's there's some Peacock shows. There you go. There's there's your plug for Peacock. Okay. Yeah, Pe- Peacock does have a a huge a very good library. And I will say the most annoying thing was I was with my daughter and we showed her Saw for the first time. And on Peacock. They have all the saws except for part one. I'm sorry. How old what? is your daughter? Yeah, she's wait, ele- what? She, she's 11. Oh, she, okay. She, she's like into horror <laughs> and like she, it didn't even phase her. Like I know it sounds wow. like a bad dad, but, oh like, really not, but I'm really not. Like she just, like she just doesn't, like she was like, what? oh, this is whatever. I think you're, it, it sounds like your daughter's a badass. Yeah, she's, that- pretty, she, she's pretty. She's pretty. Yeah, I mean, baller. I can't watch Saw. I get too scared. So <laughs> clearly, your daughter's like ahead of me. I haven't seen Saw for that very reason. I don't. Oh, know. really? <laughs> yeah, I'm scared. I, yeah. Go I'm Sophia. Scared. Yeah, it's just Sophia killing it. That's what she does. Wait, did you show a Psycho or some like really old school horror film? Uh, showed her Psycho and Rear Window. But that scared her, didn't that? She she got scared at rear window, which I thought was hilarious. That she got scared at rear over window over psycho over everything. She's the only thing I've ever seen her get scared watching. Wow. Yeah, she's a weird but, kid. Yeah, Hitchcock is psychologically scary though. Like, where a saw yeah. is just like, we're just gonna saw your head off. I think I don't know. I'm like everybody else here. We haven't seen it. Welcome to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're, we're, we're welcome to Alfred Hitchcock presents. <laughs> Supporting actress. That's that's what we're gonna do. I uh, yeah. I was gonna say real quick though. I showed my kid uh, Little Shop of Horrors the other week. That's my speed. <gasps> I was the I was the plant in Little Shop of Horrors. In oh, were you? You were Audrey too. Oh my I was gosh, Audrey too. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Mike. That's that's also my speed. So I don't know how yeah. old your children are, but that's my that's my kind of. <laughs> did, wait, did they like it? By the way. Yeah, yeah, loved it. We we still now now we just say to each other. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me now. Um, did they know who? Did they know who Rick Moranis was? Yeah, and and because we've shown them, uh, especially over the pandemic, a lot of '80s films. So they, of course, know him best from Ghostbusters. Um, but you know, they know Steve Martin and Bill Murray and 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 all those folks. What, honey, so, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And Parenthood, very very good uh, movie. They gave us a great TV show for a little while. Yeah. We uh, we very much enjoyed that, but uh, good, good good Papa Mike, good good uh, Papa. Oh, hey, uh, I, I love it when you call me good Papa. <laughs> <laughs> Throw your hands in the air. Okay. Oh so, boy! Before we get into Mike's singing debut, <laughs> I love it when you call me good Papa. <laughs> so I'm quitting. I'm putting in my notice today. <laughs> this is what happens when we're recording at like. 
Yeah. Five o'clock. Yeah. We're recording late. We're all really exhausted. Let's talk about the Emmys. All right. Let's get to what the people want, or do they? I don't know. But uh, we're talking supporting actress this week in the various categories. And uh, yeah, these are, like you're saying, Clayton, these are fun categories. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start with drama? Supporting actress in a drama series. Uh, again, you're going to hear us say for all of these, how do you pick? Because they're all so amazing. So to go down the list real quick, we got Patricia Arquette from Severance. We got Julia Garner from Ozark, who, of course, we know the Emmys love, since she's also nominated for lead actress uh, in Limited for Inventing Anna. Uh, you have Jung Ho Yen from Squid Game. You have Christina Ricci from Yellow Jackets. You have Moray Seahorn from Better Call Saul. You have Jay Smith Cameron from Succession, Sarah Snook from Succession, and Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria. So, Clayton, go. Oof, yeah, go. Uh, this is this is the category that I I feel if I say to myself, I think seven of the eight could win. It sounds mean, but I think seven out of the eight could could win. And episode submissions have now been official now, and. It depends on where. I guess, this is a good question for you, Mike. Do you think episode submissions still matter, or are we are we past that now? I I feel like we're past that now. I mean, there's so much TV now. I think people, uh, you know, if they are paying attention, they're just watching the shows and they're not specifically thinking about the the episodes that are submitted. But I could be wrong. If episode submissions don't matter anymore, then I think. Jung Ho Yen is about to win an Emmy. If episode submissions do matter, I think uh, Julia Garner is going to do it again. And by I the just way, really, but what about <laughs> Ray? So here's the thing with Ray: she submitted the hit and run episode, which is the episode that she directed, and I don't think episode submission wise was the correct choice however her like only murders in the building is airing seasons right now while voting is happening and i think whatever happens on that final episode of better call saul will determine if ray seahorn is going to win an emmy so she will be submitting an episode of something that she's not even nominated for technically and that will just be in the public opinion yeah well that's interesting that you say it's down to especially those two um you know julia garner having won um before it seems to be the yeah (laughs) twice um obviously just the the sheer inertia of of emmy voters once they vote for someone they just keep on voting for them would seem to me she would be the front runner she would also by the way if she wins, she becomes the second most awarded actress in this category's history, tied with uh, Ellen Corby and one behind Nancy Marchand for Lou Grant. Oh, wow. A little Jeez. bit of trivia. Wow. Jazz, what are you thinking? I don't know. I was going to ask you about the succession woman. Like, do you think Sarah gets it so back to the back, back to the episode submission thing sarah snook uh submitted an episode that isn't nominated for directing she did the uh chantashire episode jay smith cameron submitted the disruption which is the episode that's 
directed by Kathy Yan. Yan, I think as you pronounce it. Um, and I think those two are splitting votes. I used to think that Sarah Snook was going to run away with this, but I, I'm starting to, I think they're they're eating into each other a bit too much. Christina Ricci, by the way, also submitted the finale of Yellow Jackets, which is a great choice, but not nominated for directing or writing. Yeah. Not that, again, not that that matters. Interesting. How about you, Emily? What are you thinking? I mean, obviously I would love to see Ray, and I do think that the the incredible episodes of Better Call Saul that are airing now are is a huge push for her and a huge help for her. I think Succession may face the canceling each other out that we've seen so many times before. Um, I, I kind of believe that this is Julia Garner's this, in my opinion, I, I, that's my guess. I would love to see Christina Ricci or Ray take it, but I just don't know if that's going to happen. I'm surprised you said that. Cause I was waiting for you to say Sydney Sweeney. Cause she actually submitted the episode that is her episode. And that's the mm-hmm. r- ruminations, big and little bullies episode. Uh, which is when she screams at the high school uh, right. thing. Yeah. I don't know. I think this is tough. What do you think about Patricia Arquette? I mean, again, she's a two-time winner as well. I could see that being a little bit of a surprise on, on Emmy Sunday, but not a surprise because she is someone who voters have gravitated to in the past. Uh, the interesting thing about Patricia Arquette, when she won last, her, both her wins were surprise wins, which is interesting. When she won last time in 2018, 19, when she won for the act and not for Escape at Tannamore, um, which was with Ben Stiller. Um, yeah, she always like will sh- shock and do an upset. But I think you have to ask yourself what kind of day is or night is Severance going to have? And then that will answer if Patricia Arquette is winning. I don't think Patricia Arquette wins without severance winning drama series interesting again that's just kind of fifty thousand foot look trying to gauge twenty thousand minds that don't make sense ever i wouldn't be mad though whoever won oh yeah it's a a good lineup it is a Mm -hmm. pound for pound like one of the best lineups in the category's history yeah no they any one of them would be like you'd be like, okay, okay, voters, I see you, I get it. But um, by the way, it, it does. It feel it feel bad if you say that like it's lazy, quote unquote, to pick Julia Garner because it's not lazy because she's great, obviously in it. But it also course. feels, but it just feels like, damn, like can do anyone else, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, it it would be nice to see Ray Seahorn pull it off. Um, uh, and and Bob Odenkirk uh, to to win actor by the way too. How much fun would that be if they both won uh, oh, on every night? All right, let's move on to. Wait, 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 wait. Do you think they're do you think they're a possible package deal though? Do you think one can win without the other? Mm. I do. I think that one could win without without the other. I don't think that it's ne- necessary. Hmm. You know what's interesting? I think Ray can win without Bob. I don't think Bob can win without Ray. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, just because I, the way I think the math is going to work out and how close lead actor is, I think like you need that kind of package deal, kind of vote down the ballot kind of thing. If you're like, I'm going Better Call Saul everywhere. So that would mean that Ray won two. But Ray could, oh. win, without, Ray could win without him. 
Yeah, and by the way, Ray could win uh, uh, the the short form category for Cooper's she Bar. She is so. going to win. She is going to win short yeah. form. So, <laughs> by the way, Ray Seahorn very likely could be an Emmy winner. Uh, you know, maybe not for Better Call Saul, but nonetheless, I, I'm hoping she may see some hardware uh, come next month. So it's good. It's a good world to live in. Yeah. All right. Supporting actress in a comedy series. So we have Alex Borstein from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Hannah Einbinder from Hacks, Janelle James from Abbott Elementary, Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live, Sarah Niles from Ted Lasso, Cheryl Lee Ralph from Abbott Elementary, Juno Temple from Ted Lasso, and Hannah Waddingham from Ted Lasso. And of course, Hannah won last year, but Alex Borstein has won three times in the past. So, you know, this is, uh, it's, it, it's a little bit of a jump ball. I feel like this one is so tough. To, this one is like really, really hard, I feel. Yeah, there's a, a lot of two-time winners here. Alex Borstein, Kate McKinnon. Um, in this category, Alex has won twice. Um, Kate McKinnon's won twice as well. By the way, either the, if either of them win, they move up the chart. They're the third. They tie for second most wins in this category. They'll be joined by Valerie Harper and Laurie Metcalf. And then one behind, and then behind Ray uh uh, Rhea Perlman and Doris Roberts. Um, episode submissions, back to this uh, thing. If you ask, does it matter? If episode submissions don't matter, I think um, Shirley Ralph is a big threat here. And I think Hannah Einbender is actually a really good threat going in with a hacks kind of night. If episode submissions matter, then Hannah Waddingham, I think, is going to win a second time or Kate McKinnon. Oh. Hannah submitted uh, No Weddings and a Funeral, which is nominated for a bunch of, uh, I think it's the writing uh, and directing nominee. Um, and Kate McKinnon submitted the finale, the Natasha Leone hosted episode, which is her final episode. Though, pound for pound, Janelle James has the best episode. Because she did Ava versus Superintendent, which is the best episode of the season. I think that, yeah, I think that, I think one of the Abbott ladies are taking this one, in my opinion. Stop it. I stop it because I'm predicting it and I, I, and I'm telling myself it's a lie. So, so you don't, you, you don't think they cancel each other out? I don't think so. I don't know. I, I, I wish Lee Ralph submitted a better episode. I, you have to ask yourself again, does if episode submissions don't matter, then I think Lee Ralph could win this. Oh, yeah, and I, th- I think That'd in a case, so in a, an icon like Shirley Ralph, I don't know if episode uh, submission does matter. It's just, is she Shirley Ralph? That's and, true. Yeah. Yes. yes. And and so if she takes it home, it'll be because it's almost like a career Emmy. You think? Yes. Yes. It's definitely a career Emmy. Um, I think also you ask yourself, what is Brett Goldstein doing in supporting actor? Because I don't, I think if you have a love for Brett Goldstein, you're voting for him. A bit of me thinks that Juno Temple is getting a lot of those aired votes rather than Hannah Waddingham. Because I think Brett's best things of the season were when he's with Juno. I think they do a lot of great stuff together. Yeah, yeah, but I think Hannah is still sort of the you know in in some ways the you know the the female lead of Ted Lasso. So yes, for sure. If you're going to vote Ted Lasso, you're probably going to vote her. 
I always want, I mean, obviously this didn't impact last year, but I always wonder, is there a Hannah confusion uh, with voters? And does that sort of mess them up at all? I think they're, I think they're a little, this year more than ever, I think there is. And they're both like blonde, sort of. Like they're just like, and both beautiful also, and both in great shows. So I do think there's just like, uh, whatever. And they just kind of go, but, um, there wasn't a third woman last year nominated, right? It was just Juno and, and her. Right. Juno and Hannah last year. Right. So the the Sarah Niles of it all, which people can argue like is number eight in the category, but maybe she's not number eight. Maybe she is siphoning a couple of votes and maybe that's really going to make a difference because I think Nick Muhammad is really eating into Brett Goldstein in supporting actor. Yeah. In a yeah. big way. Mm-hmm. And this is how Tony Shalhoub and Alex Borstein once again wins. I swear to God, I'm, I'm like a millisecond from predicting Tony Shalhoub for that very reason. Like, I think he's going to come up the middle Justice for Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> it's just fine. Tony Shalhoub doesn't need justice. He's got four Emmys. The dude has four Emmys. That's, He's that's okay. <laughs> Emily, stop with the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like I said, like two for, for this category, but Alex Borstein does have three. Um, so, you know, clearly the voters, they, they like them some Alex Borstein. So, I mean, if, if, all, if everyone else sort of cancels each other out here for whatever reason... Um, but it is Kate McKinnon's final season, so there is something to be said there. There aren't many other opportunities to vote for Saturday Night Live this year, other than, of course, for like <laughs> sketch series, which is <laughs> ooh competitive. <laughs> so struggle, yeah. But uh, by the way, just uh, not fun fact. It's kind of gross, but it's still worth saying. Shirley Ralph or Janelle James, if they did pull it off, or Sarah Niles. Uh, be the second black woman to win this category. The first was Jackie Harry, 227, 1987. That is a crazy stat. That's nuts. Not good. Well, let's move on to Limited now. Uh, Hope you like White Lotus or Dope Sick, because that's about all (laughs) you got here. (laughs) So, Supporting actress in a limited or anthology series or movie, you got Connie Britton from The White Lotus, Jennifer Coolidge from The White Lotus, Alexandra Daddario from The White Lotus, Caitlin Deaver from Dope Sick, Natasha Rothwell from The White Lotus, Sydney Sweeney from The White Lotus, and Mayor Winningham from Dope Sick. So... Even though we've got five White Lotus folks, still feeling like Jennifer Coolidge. I don't know. What what are you Absolutely. what are you guys thinking? Yeah, I mean it, it feels it it feels kind of like I mean, listen, five is a lot, and you never know. Like Connie Britton is the scary one there, I think. If there was an upset, I think it could be with her. Or it could be Mayor Winningham. Because, by the way, if Mayor Winningham wins, she becomes the most winning person in this category in history. Because she is one of five people that won this uh, category twice. And she's the only one in this category who has won an Emmy, period. So, so you know, if, if you go by who do Emmy voters like, they definitely like their Mayor Winningham. And if the White Lotus folks just sort of all cancel each other out and then the dope sick folks are like, well, it's all Mayor – yeah. Then she could be the mayor of Winningham. Oh, my, oh God. my God. I just coined that right now. 
the mayor of Winningham. Oh my Come God. on. How is that not I'm a variety in, headline? I'm in pain. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing it tomorrow. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about oh my god, it's, it's Do you have it's, to credit Mike if you do? Oh, yeah, I will, I will. I, I, there's no way I would like act like I made this up. I would say and this is, my, my, Mike Schneider did this. And now I'd like to announce my retirement from the majors because that <laughs> nothing's ever going to top that. So thank you. Good night. Um, in, in looking at something here, and, and I'm being very careful of how I say this, there is, in every category, I always say there's a purity vote, meaning there's one or two that are like the heart of like, if you're voting for performance, performance only, not taking politics into it, like that you say like they're the really the best and deserve to win. A, a example in the in Sport Naturals comedy that we just talked about, I think Juno Temple and Janelle James are the purity votes there. I think they have like active pocket of supports. In this category, I think it's Natasha Rothwell and Alexandra Daddario. Really? Not Caitlin Deaver. No, I thought so for a little while. I like I, I identified her early on as that, but then Natasha Rothwell, I felt like in a lot of ways is the heart and soul of White Lotus in terms of like if there's any the dramatic heft of the show I think comes through her. Um and as does Daddario, Caitlin Deaver unfortunately I think just plays second fiddle to Michael Keaton. So it's hard like I think she's a package deal with Michael Keaton, maybe if you're going hardcore dope sick, but then you have to ask yourself how, what do you think dope sick is winning on the night again? And I feel good to say Michael Keaton and maybe writing or directing. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, th- those are all the things you have to start asking yourself. And it, it, white Lotus is lighter. It's comedy and they do favor, you know, more serious content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is no episode submissions for this, which is good. Right. I still think this goes to Jennifer Coolidge, which I still get frustrated because she's going to win for a limited series when she's the only person going back for season two. <coughs> but <laughs> she's going to just throw that in there because every time I look at it, I like cringe a little bit. And then I'm like, she's going to win it too. Like, I know it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. By the way, if, if White Lotus had done what we think is the right thing and went like comedy route. Do you think Jennifer Coolidge would be winning comedy series for an actress? Yes. Do you think she'd be beating Hannah Waddingham? You don't think it should have gone drama? I don't know. The fact what that it could be in any of these is a problem. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, that was a million dollar question though for a while. If it did get the boot, where would it go? And you could make an argument for either, either side. I, I think, think well, it, I'm it a purist. Sh- I, th- I think it's more drama than comedy, but do that's, you think that's so? me. Yeah, I think so. How many times did you laugh? Right? Yeah, I didn't laugh much. <laughs> like I, I really enjoyed once. it, but I was I was definitely like more involved in the story than I was in the comedy of it. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's it's hard because when you when I look at Murray Bartlett, I say he's funny in the show. And the way he is, his, the way he plays out. But you are, I mean, it does do both. But yeah, Cousin probably, Greg is funny in succession, but it's not a comedy. So. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, Good man. That, that's, that's a hot take. A lot of people think succession is just the way people feel Barry is a drama. Barry is a drama. Yeah, well, <laughs> Barry, Barry started as a comedy, but it's kind of like headed to, to drama category. So, yeah. 
but, from but, the next but, episode. But, 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 yeah, but Coolidge, I think it's like I, her or Michael Keane are the the surest things. Yeah, I I, I hope you're right because I mean, yeah, even though you're, she's coming back for season two of The White Lotus, so is she limited? Nonetheless, I just love the idea of Jennifer Coolidge having an Emmy. So yeah, and you know it's going to be a great speech. Oh my gosh, bring it oh, on! Fantastic. And hopefully she'll thank Variety. Mm. So, Michael Schneider in particular. This says Michael Schneider. <laughs> if she says if she if she if she says your full name, I will cry. I'll be in Canada, but I'll be crying for you. Well, in that case, she should thank uh, Dan Daddario, who wrote yeah. the lovely profile of her in last week's uh, Variety. So, all right. On that note, I think we should go uh, let people go and vote. So, vote wisely. Vote. <laughs> <laughs> you did make it sound way more political than what it was. Guys, yeah. you, can't, you can't get, get mad out unless there and you vote. vote. Get out there and vote. Get out there and vote. Get Rock, your unvoted yeah. pin. <laughs> Rock the vote. Oh, my God. Why We should make variety I voted pin, uh, stickers. We totally should. Oh, Let's do it. Not, it's not like, too late. Why are Let's there not it. pins? Why are there not pins that we could Guys, be handing we're out? Doing it. We're doing Wait, people it. are going to steal this idea, by the way, if no, we don't get it use, out that's, now. That's called like brand infringement. They'll get like sued. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. But all right. Let's let let's do it. Let's do it. All right. On that note, right. we'll see y'all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 After the break, only murders in the building, co-creators Steve Martin and John Hoffman. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Only Murders in the Building, which launched last fall, is executive produced by This Is Us mega producer Dan Fogelman under his deal with Disney's 20th television. It started out as an idea from star Steve Martin. Martin and John Hoffman collaborated on turning it into the series we now know, currently in the middle of its second season. Only Murders stars Martin, Selena Gomez, and Martin Short as a trio of curmudgeonly New Yorkers investigating a crime that took place in their apartment complex. There are narrative twists aplenty, but the real joy is watching the actors spar with each other on screen. Martin, in his first ever series regular role, plays a legend-in-his-mind actor, while Short takes on the role of a theatrical director whose career has stalled after a flop. Both stars, collaborators in projects like Father of the Bride and their ongoing live comedy tour, have immediate chemistry with Gomez, who counterbalances their frantic energy with a tough but vulnerable character. We could multitask a little bit, silo out a second investigation, do a second podcast. No, we need to focus. Only murders in the building. Only murders in the building. Welcome to Only Murders in the Building. A true crime podcast. Lester, what the hell? Found someone dead. <gasps> what? Sounds like they offed themselves. You're kidding me. Ninth floor, can't let anyone in. We can't go to our apartments? No, sir, sorry. Did you see the ninth floor? Yeah. 
I could get us to the freight elevator just to take a peek. Just to see what's happening. Okay, but we should take it to eight. Why? They'll have cops posted online. Ooh, you're good. I recently chatted with Martin and Hoffman about how they evolved Only Murders in the Building into the series they now know, including its unique storytelling, the relationships between the characters, and where the show is going from here. I began by pointing out how confusing it must be to discuss season one during this Emmy campaign while season two is airing right now, and they're already busy at work writing season three. Uh, I can't even I can't even remember the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> It is a it is a catchy title or my um, co-stars. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Whenever uh, you know a first cut of an episode goes to the cast, goes to Steve Marty and Selena, and it's typically Steve will come back and say, "I completely forgot we shot any of that." Mm-hmm. True, I I get it. Once you do it, you kind of well. So you know, once I was like in the probably the nineties, I was lying in my bed in the middle of the day, and I had the TV on. And there was a Saturday Night Live rerun, and I'm watching a sketch. And I thought, you know, this this sketch is pretty funny. And then I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Does that happen to you more these days, Steve? When you turn no, on the I'm TV? fine. My memory is fine. <laughs> You're doing okay. Well, I was talking to John actually uh, a couple of weeks ago about both you and and Marty, and I, I had the the chance to see your uh, Hollywood Bowl show. Uh, which was a, a lot of fun. And, you know, talking to John about how you guys, you don't have to do this show if you don't want to, but... We love this show. Yeah, you're still out there doing it. And and the the energy, especially on a big, massive stage like the Hollywood Bowl, for, for you and, and Marty to be running across that stage and, and just the, the amount that you put into these shows, uh, still, I, I marvel at it. Um, but well, you know, after every show, Marty and I either, well, we, 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 usually the show goes well. So we actually feel pretty good, you know, and we, we rehearse every, before every show. Um, and if we have a new line, we're very thrilled and excited. We can't wait to get to the new line. And, uh, so that's, yeah, we, we like doing only murders in the building and we like doing our show and that's pretty much it. <laughs> how has how is the success of only murders uh how is that sort of uh, uh i don't know if uh strengthened your relationship with marty or or, or changed it uh, i mean it, it's it's sort of you know fun now to see you guys you know uh, obviously work together for decades but to, to to be on a hit television show now emmy nominated um well, in the streaming world must must be sort of you know just our relationship hasn't changed because it's pretty solid you know uh but we are proud we're proud to have a hit at this point in our lives we're proud that it's good you know we love doing our live stage show so we're just uh you know nothing stays the same so we're gonna enjoy it while we can yeah, no, absolutely. Well, well, take take me back to let's let's talk origin story real quick. And and John, you can sort of jump in and talk about uh, you know I I know you guys have talked a lot about how this all started, but since we're still kind of talking about season one for the Emmys, um, what do you remember about that original pitch and how much did it change, if if at all, as you started to really sort of hammer out what the show was going to be? 
Well, Steve uh, had this original pitch that he had written up that I had read that was, um, you know, centered on the big main idea, just the huge concept, the idea that immediately started sparking a lot of other ideas in my mind and a perfect setup of three strangers in an apartment building in New York encounter this murder in their building and they decide to investigate. And of course, as Steve has said, you know, they only want to do murders in their building because they're just older and they're tired. And then once we opened up this idea of a trio that looked a little bit different, a little more unexpected with Steve and Marty, these classic comedians, actors, legends, who then could meet up with someone more modern uh, that doesn't make any sense to them. And then the magic that came from that and that worked from that, all of that sparked. Um, I met up with Steve at a dinner uh, when I was introduced to him by Dan Fogelman and Jess Rosenthal after reading this idea and presenting then at this dinner with Steve, my ideas of how to sort of like extrapolate further. He had these unbelievably great characters for uh, himself and Marty to play. Um, this ex-actor who has seen better days, director and actor that made perfect sense to me. And, and then the whole New York of it all we met then after this dinner, after I brought in ideas of podcasting and true crime and um, playing off of the tropes of some of those things in a, in a way that felt interesting. And he knew mysteries like nobody else. So I flew to New York and went to where Steve lives and he immediately started showing me all around his building and the details and the bowels of a building. And because of his expertise in, in, in murder mystery, which I did not have, it was a perfect mix for, for uh, and I was met only by someone who just was so open. And um, I was very nervous to meet Steve and he made me feel at ease in two minutes and immediately started embracing the ideas. And that was everything. It made everything sing. And Steve, what did you think of John when you first met him? And, and uh... I loved his ideas. And, you know, all writing partnerships when they first start are based on trust. You just, you know, you can't read what someone has already written and assume that the next thing is going to be great or, you know, you just don't know. That's been, and uh, it, when the script started coming in, we were, we were really thrilled. You know, it's, it's the biggest mystery of all is how people choose writers because, it, you know, it can't, <laughs> sorry, my dog is lifting weights. <laughs> here, <laughs> sunny, come here. It's a smart dog. <laughs> <laughs> but um what what did you what was your sort of your your sense of the the, the podcast of it all too steve and what were well, this is of... what john definitely uh brought in and you know um i liked it because you know there, there's two things about a murder mystery i mean two, one thing about a mur murder mystery is you always have the mystery going on which helps you know which means you can afford to take a a sidetrack as long as it's kind of relevant uh, to the plot, because you have to have, you have to, you know, when I was writing New Yorker articles, I would, uh, comedies, I would write, okay, what's the ending? Because I don't want to start with this great idea and not have an ending when I get there. The podcast fills out, it allows us to talk about what's going on. It allows to be our own narrators, in a sense, in a show that's not, a, doesn't have a narrator. Um, so it's just all more things to do that are relevant to the story. 
And then, of course, the, the killer app was bringing Selena in as well. And, Fantastic. And the chemistry yeah. between the three of you and, and sort of the, the give and take is, is really sort of the, the secret to, to this, this show's sauce. Um, and tell us about the first time you met Selena Gomez, Steve. Well, um, I remember it very clearly. You know, we hadn't met her before the first day of shooting. We had only met her over Zoom. I knew she was a professional, like Marty and I are professional, like John is, like everybody associated with a professional. No nonsense. You know, I, I looked up her credit. I thought I better look up her credits because I know she's done a lot of things that I wouldn't have seen. And I, I kept thinking of her as a, a beginner. And then I realized she's done as many movies as I have. <laughs> and uh, it was very easygoing. I met, we met her in the makeup room. Hello, hello. What's that? How, what can you do? And then it's really in the hanging out part, you know, between setups and when you're sitting on the set in your chair um, and Marty's on his phone. <laughs> so we overhear his conversations and then we can, Selena, I can look at him, look at him and roll our eyes. Um, you know, it's, it, we, nobody pushed it and, and uh, nobody was intimidated. The lovely thing to watch just from an outsider, inside or outside or whatever, the, uh, to watch that relationship develop on screen, the benefit we had of these three people coming together in a new way on screen as in their characters mirrored what was happening offstage too. So there was a lovely revving up that I felt that was authentic to the plan uh, for the story that we were telling, but also mirrored very sweetly the sort of growing trust, as Steve was talking about earlier, that was happening between the three of them. And then that, you know, the thing you just can't ever predict um, is the alchemy and, and that remarkable thing that took over between the three of them that, you know, just galvanized right all of us as writers to look at and go, that there we go. Now we're aiming towards something that is just electric. And that was the thing you can't ever predict. One of, one of my favorite things about season two so far is is getting to to see Charles's former stepdaughter and the fact that she's so much younger even than Selena's character. So right. even she, I love that. Like, my favorite scene. Yeah, yeah. So. when she when Zoe, my stepdaughter, uh, befuddles Selena <laughs> and calls. You know, she's a fast talker. She's uh, uh, talking faster than Selena could ever talk. Right. Or right. any of us. You know. and, and, and using these words, these the, this new slang that even Selena's character can't figure yeah. out. And, and she's like, guys, uh, like well, I, I really like the line. I don't know who wrote it, John. Maybe you did. It's like when she says, uh, oh, your voices are so much lower. I listen to your podcast three times speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably can't take credit for that one, but I love that yeah. one. <laughs> And and the fact that uh, in season two we get to see 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 more Brazos. Uh, Steve, talk about uh, the, Charles Hayden and this this character. And uh, you know, as you've gotten to know him a little bit more and 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 sort of put your spin on on who this person is, uh, how well, do you kind of approach him? I've always had a fascination. Just I guess I guess it comes from worry. It's like if you've had this hit in your life. And I think about people, actors, you know, who've had these hits, they're on TV for eight years, and then they don't really work that much again, because they're maybe too identified with the part or whatever. And I've always been curious 
about that life. In fact, I saw an actor once. It was at the uh, HBO Comedy Festival in Aspen that they used to do. And we were, I said, I, 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 you know, I've got to get out more. I've got to meet more people. I'm, I'm too isolated. And so the actor, I'm not going to say his name. And he hadn't worked maybe in 10 years, but he was on a big hit show. And he was in the corner. He was talking very animatedly to a ski instructor. <laughs> and he's, I, I see, I'm, I'm like 20 feet away. And he, the actor's like very busy with his hand, gesturing and speaking, and I can't hear him. So I go over and I say, I got to ask you, what are you talking about? And the actor turned to me and he said, these scripts today. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I like that. But first of all, I would have to get the characters to be idle. So they would have time older. A lot of times you are idle. So they'd have time to solve a murder, but also lazy enough that they didn't want to go downtown. That they don't <laughs> Uh, have the murders be in the building, which is also part of the comedy to me because, like in Murder, she wrote, everywhere Angela Lansbury went, there was a murder. Yeah. And uh, you'd think, you'd think, maybe I can go in. People get killed every time I show up. Anyway, that's part of the humor to me. Yeah. No, it is. It is a big. It is a big building. And you mentioned that the Arconia is so, sort of inspired a bit by by the building you were living in New York. Yeah. Very much. You know, it's a what they call pre-war. So there's an old fashioned element to it. And there's a lot of history. It's not like, um, you know, people have lived there for 40 years, you know, 50 years. So there's all kinds of mix of people in there. I have many favorite moments uh, from the last couple of years, but certainly in the top five for me was arriving at Steve's very nervous to meet him at his own home in New York at his apartment uh, for the first time and see, you know, start that dialogue really one-on-one -on -one to work on the first episode. And the first thing he did was, come here, I want to show you something. And we went running back to his kitchen and it was this view out the window from his kitchen that looked across to the, across the courtyard in his building to another window. And he said, do you see what's happening over there in that window? Well, it also, it's down. It's like down a couple of floors. Yes, exactly. You're looking, you know. Yes, good point. Yes. And he, I'm saying, okay. I said, I'm looking at a father and maybe his daughter and it looks like they're eating something. He said, yeah, yeah. That's not happening in that apartment across the way. That's happening in the apartment two floors below us. That's the reflection of what's happening directly across. And I was like, the window was like a mirror. Exactly. And so that played off of that started the conversation again, like the ways in which Steve was thinking on a mystery level and a, and a sort of intriguing apartment building view, yeah. the rear window of it all, the sort of like clues and things. We still haven't gotten at the show yet, but I'm dying to get that in the show. But of course, it's the main titles. It's everything that's going on within those windows. Yeah. No. And, and uh, you know, there, there are elements like the, the, you know, hearing the bassoon and, uh, you know, hearing it echo throughout that building and, and uh Steve, going back to, to Charles for a second, you know, you know, a lot of what we saw in season one was sort of the, the also the loneliness of these characters and, and how they're they're finally sort of connecting again. And that leads to, you know, his relationship with Amy Ryan's character, which we continue to see in season two, uh, you know, despite, you know, what a bad idea that is. Um, but <laughs> what, what's he doing? What? what uh, well, you know. If you're not perfect in a relationship, 
you can always make, you just make mistakes, go back into things, people convince you. It just happens all the time. If everybody was 100% clear and smart, uh, then break up with people immediately, that would be all kinds of things. Like Charles says in season two, he says, I spend one year getting into a relationship, one year enjoying it, and four years trying to get out. <laughs> I have to say, now that it's out in the world, it's from episode six that just aired last week, but it's maybe one of my favorite shots we've ever done was having this emotional talk where Charles is saying exactly that in the car with Mabel and Oliver and just out the window, the guy they've been waiting and staking out, waiting to see, comes oh, up the toilet. again and oh. then the glitter bomb goes. Yeah. It is yeah. Just the greatest thing and the way it got executed and the way we were able to sort of, and the way they stayed committed to that very emotional scene in the car while missing everything that, you know, the audience was seeing just over there is my favorite. Well, yeah. that made me laugh in the script. I mean, <laughs> just that, that scene, just the idea that we're, yeah, we're there for a purpose, which we completely miss <laughs> because we're yakking. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what happened when you're on a stakeout, you know, you don't just sit there and stare. <laughs> At the on front Blazos, door, you know. On Blazos, it was always the third guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite lines, too. Exactly. Um, well, speaking of, of scripts, uh, of course, the, the the silent episode is one that, you know, really stands out from season one as well. Um, and and that must have been a really interesting script to, to, to read um, with, with so little dialogue and, and so much of it just all about just the, the actions. Well, that, that, I'll just speak for that was an amazing script to get. Uh, you go, oh, first of all, you're pleased because you don't have to learn any lines. <laughs> but secondly, you, you know, every, every show, and I think it, this idea is, has been maintained, is from the point of view of a different character. And so we had this character in there who, who was deaf. And it's a natural to, to make the, the show from his point of view. I thought it was brilliantly done. And the performances were so good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 so, John, that's that's a case of you, you do like a, an episode like that. And then how do you top that? How do you come back and say, OK, what is our silent episode in season two or season three? And and is that sort of a challenge now that, that you kind of put on yourselves in the writer's room? OK, we got to top this now. It can be. It can be. It's a bit of a slippery slope. You know, obviously, you don't want to do something just for the gimmick of something or to top yourself or something like that. You want to stay, stay narratively true to what's happening. But also, I think the greatest thing in season one was that, you know, we got to do those things. It was a it's a, it was a real leap for us for, for a season one show. People don't really know what the tone is and all of that. And it, there were so many things sort of to balance with creating this sort of specific New York tone of this show that has a lot going on. And then to do big swing episodes like that in a season one, I was just so proud, as Steve said, I, pr I was so proud of everybody, but I was also proud of like, you know, the trust we got, the executives, Dan, Jess, and, and Dana Walden saying, yes, go for that in your season one. Um, while sometimes the execs from Hulu every now and then would go, someone's going to talk in that episode, right? I'm like, no, no, just one person, one line. But I'm like, then they're nervous, but they went with it. Those leaps are feel more necessary in television, but I also think they're my heart. You know, I love when we can take a big leap like that. And I think it, it can sometimes, you feel everyone's back 
you know, straighten and they all step up in some way because they recognize something that maybe they haven't seen as much of or at all. And I love taking leaps like that. Now that it's in the language of our show, I want only more of that. And I feel like everyone is also more willing to say, yeah, 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 yeah. But I also think the, the correct language is, as, as writers, you say, not how do we top it? And in this case, how do we equal it? And, uh, you know, what got us in the first season was just free thinking and daring. So you just want to keep that. You don't, you don't think about, well, we had, uh, you know, four car chases in this one. Let's do 12. No, you just have to keep that free mind. So it's always a little bit surprising what's happening like life is. Yeah. So it's, so it's not just, okay, we had Sting in season one. Can we get Phil Collins in season two? Right. right? Let's go a different right. direction with Amy Schumer. So Although that's a good idea. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's certain things that are motifs for this show now. Uh, who's going to be in that penthouse? Um, uh, but but there's also things that I, I, I think it always has to really stay true to what you would find in the milieu of any season um where you're setting it what's happening what the murder is who what characters become central suspects and then extrapolate from there into sort of getting inventive as much as possible um, and also oh sorry just no, no, no. saying the great thing about these buildings is all kinds of people live there like celebrities it's an actual true thing celebrities live in the building but the building doesn't want a real popular celebrity because then people start hanging out in the front. So they don't want that. They someone at my level. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're, they're attract any fans. <laughs> they're not they're not happy with the podcast groupies who are now popping up. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. This is not what they want. But um take me back to when you guys were for sort of mapping the show out. I mean, how far did you map it out? Was there a conversation of, okay, how many years do we go with this? What direction? Or, or was it just a, let's get through year one and then worry about where to take it from there? I had a bit, you know, there's no way that I'm not presented with this cast with these auspices around it, um, where I'm not jumping in to go, you know, let's build a, a massive hit and and many seasons of something. So my mind started churning on like how to how to multiply pretty quickly. But when Steve and I first got together, um, it was very focused on a pilot and then a structure for a season that we really got into and started talking about deeply. And and again, taking leaps in the pilot, um, things like walking. You know, I I had another time of coming to New York with Steve and Marty where I presented. Uh, the season arc, but also a couple of other thoughts in relation to the pilot that Steve and I were working on in, a, in, other, in order to sort of like elevate a little bit more where they all jumped in when I presented this Claire de Lune bouncing uh, video that I'd found of a dance uh, troupe that did this amazing video on YouTube. And I was like, can we incorporate this within the characters? It seems to be metaphorically right for what they're going through to bounce back, to have this case open up for them, bringing them new life. And they immediately said, yes. And, and that was the other thing, sort of building out that uh, while also holding to new ideas. Um, that was the greatest experience of season one with Steve. I and also, you know, as a actor and co-creator, you know, you, you sort of see the show as a, 
when you first conceive of it as, as a mystery, Sunny. As a mystery. You see it as a mystery. Then these other elements start to come in, coming from the writers, from John. And you say, oh, it's this kind of show. It's not so straightforward. Okay. You're making too much noise. <laughs> I was going to say, he's just part of the chorus. He's just part yeah, of the background. Yeah. He's cheering you on. So, uh, you know, the, these little subtle changes start to in, in, influence, influence where is. And you start to get, oh, I see, this is completely uh, permissible in our world of doing this show. So, Steve, what is your burning question now in, in terms of these characters, sort of where the show's going, um, that maybe even you're not sure yet, where, where you know, a mystery to you in, in terms of story on this show. Well, I know how season two ends. Um, I mean, season three, uh, you know, there's, I, I'm very happy with my character not growing. <laughs> you know, they always they always say, well, how does what's the arc of the character? What does he learn? What does he do? Nothing. He's 75. You know, there's not a lot left to learn. There's only more mistakes. You know, so I don't I don't worry about those things being true to the character, because that's what's in it. If Oliver is true to if Marty Short is true to Oliver and I'm true to Charles, then we sort of can't go wrong. They're real people. They're very vocal about that with me, which I love. Now that we're deeper in, they have a sense of their characters that I can't possibly know. And so whenever something bumps for them or something feels not right for the for the character, we get right in there and discuss it. And I love hearing from them whenever, or you know, usually it's backed up with some genius. Uh, also, you know, what I like is uh, the little crazy moments, like when uh, Oliver and my character, Marty Short and my character, get in discussion about Iran-Contra. <laughs> and when you see that on the page, you go, is that a tune-out moment? <laughs> we start talking about Iran-Contra, but we realize that the humor is in the riff, in the riffing. And there's always, you know, there's always the uh, Estelle Reiner moment that I believe in, uh, which is in um, uh, when Harry met Sal Sally after the big you know, orgasm scene, that it's the laugh comes when they cut to Estelle Reiner, who's looking at it. And in this case, it's when they cut to Selena, who's going, guys, come on. Right, right. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but this is the dullest conversation yeah. <laughs> I've witnessed in quite a while. So, okay, so here's the Sophie's Choice moment. If you're John Hoffman and you're a voting member of the TV Academy, and you've got Steve Martin and Martin Short nominated for Best Actor. Oh. What do you do? I, 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 uh, when Marty calls me, and I know it's him, I answer, yes, vote splitter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it, is, it is quite a Sophie's choice. I, I think of it, you know, it reminds me of the Golden Girls back in the day when, like, everyone was so great on that show. But it's, it's not at all comparable, but it, it genuinely is, uh, I don't know. I feel, you know, what I know about this whole experience that I never knew before because this kind of love from the Academy, I've never known. And, and, it, and it, was, it was surprising and, like, not more surprising, I guess, 
to feel that. I think we talked about it, Michael, that I wasn't prepared for how much that would mean truthfully. And uh, I think you probably don't think about it because you're likely not going to have that kind of thing. But in this case, when I, you know, writing with Steve um, was such an honor and there was great responsibility behind it as well. But I feel like, you know, just the idea that someone who's been in the comedic vernacular of our culture globally uh, for the better part of a half century takes a step out and feels as relevant today as he's always been. And, and that to me was incredibly moving, but it was also, I know the writing nomination for the two of us coming there uh, meant the world to we, me. We are very, very proud of that. Very proud. So my first Emmy, my only Emmy, was for writing in 1968 for the Smothers Brothers show. So it's a, uh, it feels good. It's, what you could say was uh, luck. <laughs> but when you have two nominations for writing, that is not luck. <laughs> That's a good note. <laughs> I'll talk to go back to the Marty and Steve thing. Marty and I are, we don't, with each other, we are not competitive. We just aren't. We laugh at people who are in competition with other people. That's because we're mature. It's not that we've never been competitive with other people. We've just been, you know, what they call it, around the block. So we're just not competitive with each other. If he wins, great. If I win, if we don't win, you know. All of <laughs> and I can say this, Michael, like one of the earliest moments I'll never forget on set with these guys and with Selena as well, because it happens consistently is you will hear one of them go, Steve will come over to me and say, I think this is Marty's joke. And it's a good joke, but it makes more sense for Marty or for whatever reason he feels. And Marty will say the same thing. Celine, they'll give one to Celine. They'll, but it's not about pairing. It's like really looking at the character and say, I think this is funnier from this character. And it's very generous. And it's nothing about com competition that way. I mean, I think that's the bottom line too of just the spirit of the show. I think from, all, yeah. we all can't believe this show is is doing what it's doing, and we all can't believe how lucky we feel to be a part of it. So, my dog is chewing chrome. <laughs> yeah, so, just from working together, Marty and I working together on stage, we have a feeling for whose joke it is. Is that this is more you, this is more me? You know? No, absolutely. So, so I guess in, in some ways this means John is voting for Jason Sudeikis. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to tell us. Yeah, no. Uh, Mar Mar Marty's not on this Zoom, so you can say Steve. That's that's a lot. I leave the Sophie's choice to all. You know, once I was uh, when I was more involved in bluegrass, I got nominated for a bluegrass award, and it was I can't remember what it was, musician something, and so I went on Twitter and started doing uh, bluegrass attack ads. <laughs> 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 The other uh, contestants or nominees, yeah. That's, that's, and they seem to get that it was meant as a joke. That's hysterical. By the way, I would love, I mean, that's something you and Marty should do, is is sort of fun uh, Emmy uh, free consideration attack ads right now. Like, <laughs> see, see, like uh, claim Selena in your corner. You guys could have some fun with that. I'd love that. Well, that's not a bad idea, actually, but. I'm so afraid to tweet now with everything that's the world is in, you know, it's, it's nothing's funny when the Ukraine and all everything, it's just, it's, I don't feel like 
feel like, oh, you can make jokes while this is going on. I sort of feel that way. Yeah, no, it's 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 true. It's uh, you know, for for all of us, like you know, on the one hand, writing about this stuff, talking about this kind of stuff while the world burns is is yeah yeah. We're we're all kind of that part there. of it. I mean, it's been a, that that for sure has been present, and 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 yet I've also felt like this utter delight in sort of bringing a little bit of joy, but also it is a show about connection. And I never felt like, I think part of the bit, you know, the ingredient for the show that I also didn't expect was of the last three years, this sort of sense of lonely people out of isolation who are, you know, looking for connection and there's no greater connective tissue than a sense of humor. Um, I just feel really grateful to be a part of something that. And I have learned in my career that in answer to that issue that we were just talking about, that entertainment is valuable during times of crisis. I have that people kind of long for it. I have experienced that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and especially right now, I am glad that we have only murders in the building in our lives. Um, congratulations, both Thank of you, you for... <laughs> I mean, the, the, the show obviously uh, uh, heavily nominated at the Emmys this year, but also just a treat to watch season two. And I'm so glad that we've got season three and, and hopefully more seasons to go beyond that. Steve and John, thanks so much for- uh, Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Such a pleasure, Michael. Thank you, as always. That's Steve Martin and John Hoffman, the Emmy-nominated co-creators of Only Murders in the Building. Catch up on season one, as well as the currently airing season two via Hulu. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Sanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit.